From creation to the flood to the patriarchs to Egypt, join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through Genesis, the backstory to the beginning. Uh, but uh, we are going to talk about, we're going to continue our study on faith and Abram. And um, I, I think as we go through the book of Genesis, one of the things I'd like to do is to um, just kind of track the faith of Abraham. Is his faith high? Is his faith low? Um, and when his faith gets low, what does he do? Uh, what does God do? Uh, when his faith is high, what does he do? What does God do? Um, I think as we go through the story of Abraham, it might be just very interesting to track that because I think it has a lot of um, impact onto our own faith journey. Like, what do we do when our faith is high? What do we do when our faith is low? What does God do when our faith is high? What does God do when our faith is low? How do we build our faith? How do we grow our faith? We talked about this uh, a little bit yesterday, um, about the whole idea of faith is... Uh, is complementary. It's it's uh, that a human being is like a tree, right? And the faith is like the root system. Oh, here, the faith is like the root system, and what you see is like the person and what that person is doing in their life. Um, I did have a a little bit of a an illustration of that that I thought I might share. Um, we went to, Jennifer and I, in the middle of this coronavirus, decided to go to the store together, which you're not supposed to do, I suppose. Um, you know, you send one person from your household to the store. But we, you know, we lived together. we playing it very, very safe. Um, we would decided to go to a Walmart. We went to the Walmart in Benson because the Walmart in Benson, uh, we assumed would have less people in it and might be less at risk for coronavirus than the one in Rita Ranch. Uh, and so... And the, the Rita Ranch one is, is 10 minutes closer, but the one in Benson is a lot more fun. Uh, before the one was built in Rita Ranch, Jennifer and I would go to the Walmart in Benson all the time to buy all sorts of stuff because it was very nice. I remember walking in there once. This is, this is a tangent on a tangent, but we walked in there once and this lady came up to me and she said, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I'm looking for, I think I was looking for a pair of shoes in my size. She goes, well... I see we don't have them on the shelf. Let me go see if we have them in the back room. And so she left, and five minutes later, she came back, and she said, I'm so sorry we don't have them in the back room, but um, I'm told that they're going to come in next week, and maybe you could come back next week. I mean, it was just the nicest thing. Uh, so uh, I, we've always had a deep, warm uh, sentiment about the Walmart that's in Benson. Anyway, so uh, we decided to go to Walmart and Benson. That's a tangent on a tangent. Now we're getting to the tangent. So I go into Walmart and Benson, and... Um, they have grapevines on sale. Now, I in, in my backyard, I have grapes, and I want more grapes, and I even want more grapes. So every time I see grapes on sale, uh, I, I, my heart's like, hmm. Uh, now, I mean, when I say on sale, <laughs> I mean, I think they're normally like five bucks, and they were on sale for $2.99 or $3.99, so we're not talking about a lot of money here. <laughs> But if you know anything about me, I'm cheap, okay? <laughs> so, um, we, uh, I'm looking at this like I want, I want some more grapevines. They're on sale, so, uh, so I. Uh, but the way that they sell these grapevines is that um, I think they grow them big and get that root system really big uh, because the the stem of the grape 
you know, the main stem of the grape is is probably how big is that? About the size of a large dowel, I guess, or something like that. About even bigger than a pencil. Um, yeah, you know, kind of. I don't know, but it's about that big. So, um, and uh, and then they cut that off, but they allow one sprout to come out of the base, and it's a smaller sprout. And I think the reason why they do that is to kind of cut off the root system from supporting that huge tree so it all all that energy now goes into that little thing but it it can't it can't get that sprout out yet because the sprout's not planted yet because once we planted these things so I did buy something we planted them and once I planted them they just like took off I mean and now it's it's growing like gangbusters uh, all of them we bought are just doing fantastic and the reason why they're doing fantastic um, isn't because the the stock you know, was big because they had cut off the stock, you know, the main, the main stock of this thing. It was just this little shoot. The reason why the plant was doing so well is because the root system must have been huge on this thing. I mean, when I, when I planted it, I mean, it had a lot of roots, which just goes to show you that the root system is extremely important. Um, if the root system is intact and there's at least one shoot on the plant, and you plant it in proper soil and you give it proper nutrition, the thing takes off like crazy. I would say that the root system is as important, if not more important, to the health of the plant than the actual stock itself because you can actually cut off, you know, a great, you can prune an incredible amount of stuff on the top material. Uh, and then uh, if it's got a proper root system, it will grow. I mean, unless... You know, it's very, very strange. I mean, the, it's the root system. So if the root is like your faith, if you've got a strong faith and God's been growing your faith, it really doesn't matter how much God prunes you or what uh, things in life happen to you to kind of prune you or to, you know, to shake you to your roots or to, you know, I think the death of a loved one is cutting off a major branch. I think, uh, you know, getting sick uh, is cutting off a major branch. Um, you know, there's losing your job is cutting off a major branch. I mean, there's there's lots of stuff that happens in your life that cuts off, you know, major branches into your into your life. But if the root system, if the faith is intact, then you will you will bounce back from that. You will have a V-shaped recovery from that because. Uh, because the root system is the important thing here. It's uh, and so, so all that being said, is that uh, it's important for us then, as followers of God, followers of Jesus Christ, to let our root system grow uh, as big and strong as possible, and just feed it, nourish it, give it water, give it sunshine. You know, let that root system spread out. Because if the root system is strong, then whatever happens in your life. Um, uh, it, it, you can manage it. You can weather the storms in, in life because of the root system. And uh, how do you get your root system strong? And that's that's the question I think I want to look at with Abraham. Because if you'll remember, actually, um, I think I've got a quote here. Uh, yeah, Romans 4, 3, Paul on Abraham says this. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So the apostle Paul holds up Abraham as this exemplar of faith and uh, looks at Abraham to say, look at a guy who had great faith. And you look at Abraham, and like I said yesterday, the guy's a cad. Uh, he's every one of us. Uh, but but he's held up as this guy that has great faith. Well, I think he's just an example of 
a guy with great faith. Now, certainly he did have great faith, and he, and God tested him in amazing ways, um, and he passed the test. In other ways, he didn't pass the test. But how did Abraham's faith grow? That's that's what I'd really like to spend some time uh, here in Genesis, just trying to answer that question. Because uh, if Abraham's, who is every one of us, can grow his faith, then maybe his example can help us grow our faith. All right. So the first thing that we found out right out of the bat is that God called Abraham to leave his country where he had grown up, the comfort of his land, the comfort of his people, the comfort of everything around him, uh, and then to go. And Abraham does. And I'm sure if you're living in Vail, <laughs> which most of you are, maybe not all of you, but uh, if you're living in Vail, you didn't get there because uh, you stayed there for generations. There's very few first, second, third generations people living in Vail. So at some point, you, like me, moved to Vail. So we know what it's like to leave uh, the comfort of the place that we've lived in and move to a new place. I grew up in Phoenix. And I lived there for 32 years, uh, pretty much in the same neighborhood. Uh, I grew up, uh, Phoenix is laid out in a grid site system. You have 40th Street. You, you know, these are, these are uh, every eight streets is a mile from downtown Phoenix. So I grew up on 40th Street. So I was only uh, uh, five miles east of, of Central Avenue, which goes right through downtown Phoenix. Um, so... I grew up on 40th Street. After I got married, I lived on 28th Street. My parents, at one point, we lived at 32nd Street. Um, then we lived on another house on 32nd Street. I mean, these are all north-south streets, but I, I grew up, I spent 32 years in the same neighborhood. And um, it, maybe you've done that also, but spending all that time in the same, you get, there's a comfort level that is... Um, that is very, very attractive because you know where everything is. And then uh, the job I was working at, uh, I was asked if I would move to Colorado uh, and open up an office, a branch office of the company I was working for. Um, and I, I really didn't want to leave Phoenix, but um, there were a couple things. One is that uh, I think my wife really didn't like Phoenix. <laughs> so... Uh, she was kind of excited about the potential of moving to Colorado. Actually, um, her grandmother lived uh, in Loveland, Colorado. And uh, I, I did, I remember coming home uh, and saying, yeah, uh, my boss has asked if we could move to Colorado. And she got up and she left. And, and I'm like, what's happening? So I followed her, and she was in the bedroom, and she was packing. I'm like, what are you doing? She goes, well, we're moving to Colorado. <laughs> I was like, I haven't even, no, I haven't said yes yet. We're just, no, no you're going to say yes. We're going to move to Colorado. <laughs> I said, okay, well, there you go. Um, and so uh, so that's one thing. But the other thing is, is that uh, there are times when you cannot advance any further in, the, uh, in where you live how do I say this? And it wasn't just the job. It was just that there was too much comfort uh, in the way th things were in my life. Um, I, uh, the, the job was comfortable. The location was comfortable. Everything was comfortable. And I, I just have a hard time with um, comfort. I, I, uh, I guess the way God created me is I need to have uh, new challenges and new things uh, I think in the uh, oh in Ephesians uh, three 
that's basically that I'm an apostle, that I'm always looking at like what the next thing is. And uh, that's the way God's created me. And I guess it was just too comfortable to stay in Phoenix. And so um, we moved to Denver. And uh, the same thing is true with Abraham. He was he had been living in Ur uh, for a long time. And then God said, okay, Abram, uh, it's time to move. It's time to get out of your comfort zone. It's time to move. And so Abram does. And so as far as the first step of faith goes then, I guess you could say that Abram uh, followed God. He heard God's call and he decided to move and he followed, he, he did what God called him to do. And uh, so that is, that is definitely a, a highlight in Abram's life because he actually took that step of faith. And when he did, uh, his faith was growing like crazy. It was like miracle growth for his root system. When he gets to the first location, he builds an altar to God. Then he gets to the second location, he gets an altar to God. Everything's going well in his life. And then, of course, this famine hits. And now Abram has to move out of where he is, and he's going to go to Egypt. Uh, And so when he decides to get to Egypt, he looks to his wife, who is also his half-sister, and says, I'm going to tell everyone that you're my half-sister, because otherwise they will kill me. And this is probably a step backwards for Abram's faith, because God had told Abram, I will make you a great nation. Look, you are going to be a great people. Uh, People will be blessed because of you. You're going to have progeny. Uh, everything is going to turn out just fine, Abram. Don't worry about it. But he gets into Egypt, and he's like, he has to take things into his own hand. And so he lies to the Egyptians, not even thinking, what happens if Pharaoh finds out? I mean, what happens if uh, Pharaoh ends up uh, being with Sarai uh, and all of a sudden finds out that she's married to this Abraham? I mean, I would think that Pharaoh would kill Abram. And he would, it would be in a worse spot than before he even, even went to Egypt. Um, I mean, this is a secret that if it comes out, it could destroy Abram. And I don't know what Abram's thinking. Like, he's going to wake up in the middle of the night, and he's going to take Sarah, and he's going to go out of Egypt. I mean, it's not going to happen. I mean, how do you go up to Egypt and say, oh, Pharaoh, great one. Um, by the way, um, this, this lady that you have in your court that's absolutely beautiful, and I told you she's my sister, she's actually my wife, and we'd like to leave now. I mean, it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. What was he thinking? Well, maybe he wasn't thinking, right? I don't know. We have, I'm sure if you've had children, right? It's like, what are they thinking? What are they thinking? Um, maybe, maybe this never happened to you with children. I, I, I it's happened to us one or two times. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so um, Abram uh, is now. So when we left the story yesterday, Abram's in Egypt. The wife has been ensconced by Pharaoh's court. Uh, Abram has, is being treated like royalty because he's considered to be the brother. Um, but the problem is, is that a he's not followed God. B he hasn't built an altar to God. And C now he's stuck in Egypt. And God has plans for Abram. <laughs> They're not in Egypt. And God's like, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? Um, and so uh, so now that's where we left the story. And that's where we're going to pick it up. Um, so uh, we got as far. Well, let's just look at verse 14, which is about halfway down the slide. Um, verse 14. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. Of course, 
And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. And he, being Pharaoh, treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels, and all life is going well. But the problem is, God's got different plans for Abram. So let's see what happens. What does God do? But the Lord inflicted a serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. Okay, so he summoned Abram. And it's like, this is not going to go well for you, Abram. Sorry, uh, you lied to Pharaoh. Uh, you're, you're a cad. <laughs> this, uh, I don't know how you get out of this. And so Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister, that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her. Go. And then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So Pharaoh doesn't kill Abram and take Sarai anyway. I, I mean, this is just... Abram lied. He got all these lavish gifts. I mean, it was all because of the beauty of his wife. Pharaoh's like... And then he gets afflicted with the disease. This is something that God does. God injects into the situation what God can do. He injects a disease and Pharaoh ends up allowing Abram and Sarai and all the donkeys, all the servants to just leave, right? This is like a mini exodus and gets him out. Um, and then, of course, Pharaoh's court gets better from the disease, right? Um, so this is something that God does to rescue Abram. And there are times in our lives when we do things that are just absolutely uh, mind-bogglingly stupid. And God has a plan for us, and God set it up and teed up the ball and given us the nine iron and said, okay, there's the whole swing and do it. And we throw down the nine iron and we walk off the tee and God's like, what, what, what's wrong with you? But then as we're walking off the tee, God puts a big boulder and we stumble on the folder and we break our leg and then, you know, we recover. And it's like, you know, we never did hit that nine iron shot. So we go back out and we and God gets us in the right path. Uh, even when we do stupid things, God is still behind the scenes working. Uh, one of my favorite, favorite Bible verses, right, is all things work together for good for those who love God who are called according to his purpose. Because no matter uh, how stupidly we mess up, no matter how many times God does a face plant on his forehead and say, what was David thinking? Oh my goodness. David, 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 David. I teed it up for you. I had it all ready to go and you blew it. And I'm sorry, God, that I blew it. But uh, then God, you know, changes the circumstances, takes what I did and messed up and molds it into his plan and, and turns it out for good, even though I mess up. And that's what we see here in Abram. Um, and I take incredibly strong comfort in that because uh, I am a sinful human being, as we all are. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to do things the wrong way, but God never messes up. And God can take the most amazingly stupid thing that we've ever done and he can still work it to his good. And this is what he did with Abram, right? Um, Abram messed up. God had it all teed for him. But then he goes into Egypt. And then uh, God basically takes Sarai, um, inflicts this serious disease on Pharaoh, and uh, Abram's able to leave. And that's just, 
<clears throat> that is that is the power of God. That is the wonder of God. That is the blessing of God, because God's got everything under control. And uh, you know, even in this coronavirus, as we're sitting around trying to figure out what the heck are we doing, and you know, people are getting sick. People are you know all sorts of terrible things happening in the world. But God's got it under control. And the important things in life are still um, under God's thumb, uh, and he's doing amazing and wonderful things. And as, you know, as a church, we can look at this as a horrible inconvenience that's, that's causing us all great stress. Or we can see how God's teed up the, the ball for us and given us a nine iron and say, okay, here's the situation. Now what are you going to do? And, and do amazing things for the kingdom, even in the midst of the coronavirus. I mean, one of the things that I'm just absolutely amazed is that it is not that hard for me to actually just pop in and spend a half an hour for you, whereas if we were all to get together and we were to have a Bible study, you know, I would have to get there early and set up the chairs, or somebody would, and we'd have to get coffee, and we'd all have to... I mean, it would be an it would be a production um, to be able to do this every day. I don't think I could. I don't think I'd have the energy of the wherewithal to lead this Genesis Bible study every day. But here I am in Chicago with my granddaughter, who's upstairs giggling. And um, as soon as I'm done, I'm just going to pop up there and play with her, and probably play with the rest of the day. And I'm still able to do this Bible study with you and spend this time with you. And this, this is going to be a new opportunity for the church to do and reach uh, in ways that we've never been able to reach before. And um, I, think, uh, I think that God has teed up for us something amazing. And uh, I think the, that those uh, churches that look at this opportunity and say, okay, how are we going to leverage? You know, God's teed up the ball and he's given us a nine iron. How are we going to move forward with this? I think they're going to see amazing things happen. And... Uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I have no idea how long this is going to last or what, what it's going to look like when we get on the other side. But I do know that God still works for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. He's not done with me yet. He's not done with Christ Lutheran Vale Church yet. He's not done with all of you yet because you're sitting here watching this. Uh, and as long as he's got all those resources available uh, in his hands, uh, he's going to continue to do amazing things. Uh, and so... That kind of brings, I, I, but right now, uh, I would say that, that Abraham, as he's leaving Egypt now and thinking about and reflecting upon what's gone on, uh, we will find that he blesses God for getting him out of Egypt, for saving his life, for saving Sarai's life, uh, for allowing him to continue on to do these things that God has, because God obviously has plans for Abram, because he told him, I got plans for you. The whole world's going to be blessed because of you. Uh, and so we, I would say that uh, Abram now has miracle grow, just being dripped on his root system. And right now, as he's leaving Egypt, I would see, uh, you don't necessarily see it on the surface of the tree, but I think that his root system is growing leaps and bounds by what God has done in his life. Uh, if Abram pauses and reflexes to see what God is doing in his life, which we should do every day, right? We should every day pause and reflect and see what God's doing in our life uh, so that we can get that miracle grow. Um, pausing and reflecting uh, is miracle grow for the root system. All right, so uh, I think we'll leave it there. Um, it is Friday, so a little bit shorter study today. And besides, I hear my daughter Dakota a little screaming. Maybe she needs her grandfather. So uh, let's close in prayer. 
Gracious God, thanks for this time together. Thanks for the example of Abraham. Thanks for uh, getting him out of Egypt alive and safely uh, and for uh, showing him as an example of, of how you can do amazing things in, in the, even the most unamazing situations. Be with us over the weekend. Bring us back together again uh, next week. Keep us safe and in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.